we're calling the series Transformers, eight verbs that can transform you and your world. And so that's what we're doing, okay? And so today's, you can go to the next one, Josh. Today's message is entitled Commit. And the tagline is this. I don't, I don't, don't worry, there'll be no test. But the power of steadfast continuity in biblical community. Uh, what in the world does that mean? Well, hang with me for about 40 minutes or so. 40 minutes to an hour or two. Uh, I, I, one, 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 there were, there was one, I had to, I, there's this, I, I don't use it anymore. There's this app I have and it's, um, it's, it's really, it's, it's good for public speakers. It's called P clock. And what it does is lets me set, uh, like 35 minutes there. <laughs> right. And, and so it, it'll t- count down green in the last 10 minutes, it goes yellow. And then the last five minutes, it goes red and all those are customizable parameters. And so one of the guys, a guy from Portland, he got up to present. He kind of mentioned, he had his, you know, and he said, I have this app, blah, blah, blah. And I got him. I said, yeah. I said, Randy, Randy Remington has that. I, I use that app, too. And it's really fun when I'm preaching to, to just watch myself blow through those numbers, yellow and red. And then they begin to cut down the other way. Anyway, a uh, little joke. Uh, commit. Okay. Um, I realize I need to be careful about this word for a few reasons. Okay, let me, let me, let me be, be honest about this from the outset. Um, one is that pastor, teacher, preacher, leader types like myself often find ourselves harping on issues of commitment. And I, and I realize that to some extent that gets old. Um, and it gets old for a couple of reasons. One is because most of us really are quite committed to Christ and to God and to his church, uh, really. And so sometimes it, it seems in, in, in church settings that like leaders are just like we're just trying to squeeze blood out of a turnip. We're just trying to get every drop of your life and everything we can get in some churches we're just so i know sometimes we the church we seem so needy and we just want all of your time and all of your effort and all of your energy and most of your money we'll know all of it i i i i think that i i think that sometimes and it's not because leaders are mean-spirited or, or, or malicious, but it's just that when you're trying to build something and trying to run something and trying to lead something and trying to do things, you, you find yourself trying to draw upon as many resources, and sometimes those resources are somewhat limited. you understand what I'm saying? The second thing is that I realize many people in, in, in the church today are doing the best they can based upon their own self-perception. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and so sometimes I think Christians work hard to make other Christians feel guilty about stuff when I think yet in pe- if people are kind of left, left between them, themselves and God, I, a, a lot of folks would, would, would feel like, man, Lord, I'm trying. I'm, 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 I'm giving. I'm, 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 I'm serving. I'm, I'm trying to help. I'm trying to be a part. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, to follow you. I'm trying to read my Bible. I'm trying to, you know, all those things. Um, uh, you know, by way of the, the, the usual markers that we use, you know, whether it's the length of... And, yet, you know, sometimes we, we're baited with information from other people that confuses us because, you know, you somebody get up and say, you know what, if you don't pray five hours a day, you're backslidden and on your way to hell, you know? And they're like, wow. And so, you know, you've got all these different messages from all these different people and, and people, bra- you know, bragging or testifying. Oh, that's right. The, we, we testify. We don't brag. About how, you know, how, uh, 
I read through the Bible five times last year, and you know, whatever, you know. Uh, I haven't missed church in 72 years, whatever, you know. And, 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 it, and so when we're struggling in some of our real genuine private areas of commitment, you know what I'm talking about, the real ones, because I, I, I know I do agonize over, Lord, I, I really want to make sure that I spend enough time talking to you. I agonize over time spent in the Word. You say, you pastor? Yeah, all pastors, everybody. You know, we, we all have the same struggles because we all have lives that have these different components to them. And so uh, I, I, we, we tend to talk when we if I had advertised this series, none, nobody would show up because it's like it, it's it. When you talk about commitment in church, it tends to come from a place of of in, inducing guilt. Uh, and, and that is not my intent. And I I, I get that that's what a lot of a lot of our talk about commitment in, in Christian circles, that's kind of where it, it ends up kind of landing, right? Uh, I heard a, one of the speakers at this event this week talk, was, did a beautiful presentation on some of the new cultural realities uh, the church in America in the 21st century is facing. And there's some things that we are coming to deal with that we'll, ha- we'll have to deal with. And, and I want to say this to our church and to our leaders. Uh, we can get stuck in 1995 or something and keep bucking the past and keep trying to push people back into a mold or way of living, a way of thinking, a way of responding to life culturally from 20 years ago, right? And I hear some of my Christian brothers and sisters doing that. It's still the same old thing. And you know what you find out? It, it, it won't work and it's not going to change. Um, you know what? You're not going to all wake up tomorrow and, 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 and sell your iPhones on Gazelle and go back to like reading books and stuff. <laughs> You're not going to get up tomorrow and say, you know what? I'm not going to... I'm, I'm going to obliterate my online presence. I'm not going to text. I'm not going to do it. And there's just, you know, there's things, there are things about life. There are things about the way we, we do life. There are things about our current culture. And the speaker was talking about the fact that, that people have less time, right? Can you all relate to that? That, that people, that, that family life is, it tends to be more complex, right? Do you, do you, can you relate to that? That, that our kids are, are, are saddled with more activities growing up. You know what I'm talking about? And those activities cover different days now than they used to because society has changed. And, and, um, and, 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 and that, that, that's real, and we have to deal with that. Um, the nature of the economy in the workplace means that work schedules are all, all over the place, and so church attendance is a different animal now. And one of the realities that p- observers of, of culture in America with regard to the church are, have, have, are concluding is that we're absolutely in a place where people do not att- Christians do not attend church with the regularity that they did in past seasons, in past generations. And so and, and many times... In fact, it was put like this. People that attended church every, you know, four, you know, four weeks out of the month now tend to do three. People that did three now tend to do two. People that did two weeks a month, now Sundays a month, now tend to do one. And people who did one, <laughs> where are they now? They, uh, you know, every couple of months. One pastor talked about the fact he had to, re- he, you know, a larger church, he had to redo his whole database because they had a thing where if somebody didn't check in through, you know, either an offering a response card over 13 weeks, they would put them as inactive. And he said, you know, basically a vacation one month, um, a death in the family the next, or a family that comes to church once a month anyway, you might not see them for 90 days, you know, uh, uh, six months. Some of you I haven't seen. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, and so I get that. So when I talk about commitment, I, I want to try to reframe the conversation. And I want to try to get a biblical and a relational and an organic understanding of commitment that starts somewhere else other than y'all need to do this, y'all need to do more, y'all need to try harder. You know what I'm saying. You need to commit. And, you know, I've listened. Having grown up in church, I have heard every 
twist on that. And you know what I'm talking about. Uh, whether it's, and I know some of you, when we read the scripture today, okay, that's an offering scripture there. They must be getting ready to try to raise some money up in here, you know. And uh, no, that text is, is a part of our message this morning. And we're going to look at it. And Paul is talking about uh, the Corinthians in the context of giving. But we're going to look at not just the, the monetary material giving part of it, but the motivation behind it and how it relates to this issue of what it means to commit. Uh, so this isn't that kind of commitment message. Uh, I'm not talking about doing more or working harder, at least not at the outset, right? I'm talking about an attitude or disposition um, towards the core values and activities of the Christian church, of the Christian faith, uh, attitudes and dispositions that enable us as individuals and as, as the church to experience the fullness of what God wants and is intended for us all. And so the call today is to commit, but now let's explore what that means and what from a biblical perspective that really entails. Because you would say, uh, we might say, okay, pastor, we see the word on the wall, commit. And you say, commit to what? And I would stop you and say, no, that is not the, the operative question. The question begins with commit to whom? Oh, that was cool. <laughs> You know, finally churches got to the place where they realized you're not, you know, we're not going to banish uh, devices. And so you're going to have a little burst of music and ringing and you're going to have those things. And so you can just enjoy it and have fun with it rather than have the usher come up and say, would you please exit? <laughs> because I'm sure you were just trying to get dialed in on the version events page to find the sermon notes there, right? <laughs> But the question isn't commit to what, the question begins with commit to who, right? Uh, and so let, let's go back to square one. Let's look at a couple of biblical texts and just stay with me for a moment. And the first one is this, is uh, Mark 12, 30, 31. This is Jesus. And Jesus says, if you want to talk about the commandments, he says, this is, breaks it all down. This is the bottom line. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind and with all your strength. The second uh, is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Okay, now just put a pin in that and remember that and then go, go to the next one. And this is uh, Romans 6, 13. And then the Apostle Paul writes, he says, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Now this, so the, what I want to just point out, next please, Josh, what I want to point out is this. Let's start with this as, as, as our starting point. Before we commit to anything, we must be drawn into a real and loving relationship with our Creator and Lord. So we spend a lot of time in church trying to get folks to do something, but the, we would probably, the, the cause would be better served by us basically making disciples and, and leading people into the presence of God and helping people to come to know and to love God better. Because that, that's, 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 that's the starting point. Before we commit to anything, before you decide to be on the usher board or join the worship team or, 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 you know, or, or, or be a parking lot attendant or a greeter or a pastor for that matter, before anything, it begins with being drawn into a real and loving relationship with God. And I think some of us can attest to the fact that commitment in our life may have grown not out of uh, the, you know, the, uh, the, uh, 
bantering of the pastor or the, or the battering, if you will, of, you know, just by the church. I said, we need you. you. Are you committed? You need to get committed. Get committed. But you came to love God. You came to love Christ to, to the extent to where you were like, man, I, I, want to, I want more and I want to be more locked in. I want to be more focused. I want to give myself more to this. I, I, I want, I want, I'm all in because I, I, because I love, because I realize what God has done for me through Christ. You know what I'm talking about? Nothing we say in the context of church concerning commitment or devotion will have any meaning until we really allow ourselves to fall in love with Jesus. And until we first, in, what, in, in, words of, in the way Paul describes it, uh, in, in, in going forward, as we look at uh, the, the passage in, in 2 Corinthians that we read, and looking here, looking at the, the Romans 6, 6.13 passage, uh, until we first offer ourselves to him, understanding that he deserves and seeks nothing less than all of us. That means all, our entire selves, our entire lives. But it begins before your, before your stuff and before your time and before your, your talent, before your, your, your doing. It is, it is a heart thing. It's, are you willing to... to, to Give your heart, to commit your heart, in the words of the Old Testament, to commit your way to the Lord. To entrust your life to him. Everything else flows from that. It doesn't start somewhere else and come back to that. So when I say commit this morning, when we look at that verb and say, wow, that verb has power in our lives. If this is something we do, if this, if this is a, a, an action we use to respond to the grace of God, it, it's going to produce something in my, in my life. When I say commit, I would challenge all of us to ask ourselves this question. Do we really love God above all and everybody and everything else? And if not... Because maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, well, you know what? I don't know because I, I, don't, I, I can't answer that question. And you look around the room and say, I bet all these other people in here, I know they're just saying, I love him with all my heart. And you're saying, but I have, I, I don't know. Well, I want to I I I encourage you that there are a lot of people around you, whether they know it or not, that probably don't love God quite as much as they may wish they did or think they did, not in the sense that they've chosen to not love him, but relationships and love takes time and it takes, it takes investment and involvement to grow. And, and our love is demonstrated not by what we say, but what we do, right? And so, you know, are you, if, if, if not, you're, that's, that doesn't place you like in a bad place. You're not like a bad person. But if, if, you, if you would say, I, I, I don't love, I don't know if I love God above all because I really like whatever vice it is that's operative in your life. I really like, I love this person so much that I don't know if I could forsake them for God. I love money so much. I love my stuff. You know, whatever it is, if you are struggling with that, uh, the question would simply be this. Are you willing to make the effort to come to know him better? Because to know him is to love him. To know him more is to love him more. And sometimes the reason that our love for God is so tepid and so cold is because we have not expended the time to really get to know him. Now, and in romantic love, uh, this is Valentine's Day coming up on Tuesday. To all the, all the, all the men in the house, that if you have a significant other, I want to remind you. Don't, don't blow this. Uh, you know, it's, but 
after infatuation and lust uh, subsides in some of the relationships that some of you have been in, you realize this, that if you don't take time to talk, if you don't spend time together, if you don't do things together, if you don't hang out together, if you don't cultivate intentionally, work on that relationship, love doesn't really grow. It's just, you, you could easily just become, be married to somebody, be a roommate. You could, you could be in relationships and be suspicious and, 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 uh, of one another. You could be in a situation where there's just no movement, no traction, because you haven't become vulnerable, vulnerable, you haven't spent time together, you haven't been honest with each other, you haven't invested. And same with our relationship with God. It's a love relationship in which we have to invest. And so, you know, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to do what Paul says in the verse in Romans six thirteen? we just read, to offer yourselves, your bodies, in the words of Romans 12, 1, your entire selves, living sacrifices? And are, you willing, are you willing to consider offering every part of yourself? Realizing that you don't lose when you do that, you actually gain. You lose when you don't. Are you willing to do that? We've got to move beyond. I want to encourage you to move beyond the embrace of Christianity as merely another self-help system. I refuse to get caught in that trap. To where all we're doing is talking about, you know, if you come in here, we're going to give you the seven principles to a dynamic, uh, uh, to, to get the job that you dreamed of or whatever. And, and there, the Bible touches on all that stuff. One of the things I said in talking about social concerns and, and, and racism and that kind of thing to, in response to one question, I said, I like it when, if we teach the Bible and the more we kind of do it. Uh, textually and expositorily, it, it, it enables us, which I'm not doing in this setting, but what it enables us, we deal with stuff as it occurs and things pop up in the scripture and those things pop up in the New Testament, right? And certainly success and self-help and all that stuff, it's all through the Bible, all kinds of words of wisdom and comfort, but Christianity is not just another, you know, it's not like Jesus is not the, the original Dr. Phil kind of thing. I mean, I just, can you imagine? Jesus is walking with Peter. What were you thinking? <laughs> How's that working out for you? Uh, the, Jesus with the Texas accent, I can kind of get that because I'm sure it's been done. I certainly, I've seen him with the British accent. I am the bread of life. Behold, he who comes to me shall never hunger or thirst. Who does your hair? No. Uh, but, you know, but I, I, I don't, we don't want, we sell ourselves short. We, we, we really compromise if, if that's all it is. Another super source of confidence. Yes, there's incredible confidence when you know the creator of the universe loves you more than, than anything else. I mean, you, that, that we as his creation are the apple of his eye. We're the crown jewel of creation. He loved us so much he sent his son to die for us. It's incredibly affirming, isn't it? But that's not all that we don't, I mean, you know, we could just spend all our lives saying, you know, you're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, people like you, in Jesus' name. Stuart Smalley, evangelist. Yeah, he's a sinner now, right? But you know what I'm saying? It's more than just the, the balm that quiets our, our fears and, and soothes our consciences and, and assures us about death and and eternity. 
It is that, yeah, but it's more than that. God really does want all of me, all of you, all of us. He wants all of my affections. He wants my heart. He wants my love. He wants me in a relationship, in a deep and loving and intimate personal relationship with himself. That's where commitment starts. He wants all that I have, all that I am. He wants to use all that I have and all that I am in in, in making me an instrument, in the words of, of Paul, of righteousness. In other words, God wants to do amazing things through us for his glory to the benefit of others. Have you considered that prospect? Are you willing to pursue that kind of commitment to God where God really can? Were you really to become an instrument in his hands? And I know some of you saying, oh, that sounds kind of weird, man. It's like, so I'm going to be walking down the street and God's going to say, just walk over to that guy and start speaking in tongues or something. Or just, just drop on your knees right here in the, at, at the bus stop and just begin to pray. You know, God's going to say, get up and make you a sign and put it on your chest and walk down the street. God's not going to tell you to do anything strange. God's going to use you in your context, in your world, in your personality, in your scene, with your temperament, in your environment to reflect his love in a way that's unique to you and the environment in which he's placed you. God made you you. He didn't make you me. Isn't that, isn't that refreshing to know that we can, we can be completely committed to Christ and still be who we are? And God, God's working out the junk in our lives. But you know what? If you're, if you're an introvert, an extrovert, getting saved won't cure that. You know, I was, I was so quiet. I used to think, I, I used to see people, I used to think that kind of what happens. I was so quiet and one night I went into the church and I sat, I, did, I sat, I got under the pew in the back corner <laughs> and, and the preacher was preaching and he was, it was like he was talking directly with, to me and maybe it's because it was my uncle and he knew me and he said, he said, get up, lift, lift up your hands. I'm going to break, take that spirit of introversion off you. But you remember when everything is like a demon is a spirit? You got that quiet spirit. You better get up out your seat. Somebody one time told me, let me stand up. Somebody, I was, one time somebody told me I was, you know, I was, I was like this organist growing up, right, in churches, in church, right? And so, and so, you know, come on, you know, we make, we make people shout, right? You say, no, the Holy Ghost, no, no. <laughs> I know the game. We know the game. <laughs> and these young cats have no, that didn't have the scruples we had. We used to try to wait for the spirit. They just said, they just had, we don't start this up. But, but this one lady came, she said, Charles, you know, one day the Holy Ghost going to get on you and you going to get up off that organ and dance all up now. the house. I said to myself, hmm, doesn't sound like something I'm really, I'm really looking forward to here. <laughs> the day that Charles made a spectacle of himself. God never healed me that way. I still, I, I still, I, I kind of dance on the keyboard. And I, if, if, if I really felt, I wouldn't be ashamed. But it's like, you know, people always, it's always like God's going to like make, take you into this other zone. You're, you know, you're going to become, you know, and I like, I know some of the biblical figures, you know, like, you know. Uh, but I, even Peter, I mean, he was, he was transformed, but he was still Peter. And on and on and on. So, you know what I'm saying? God wants to work through you and that the commitment he seeks is based in a relationship but but the and the challenge is this go go to the next slide for me uh people who don't love god passionately will not serve god faithfully so you've you've learned and in through years of leadership you figure something out it's just like you know whatever it is you say well we just we got to motivate them 
motivate people to commit. We got to get them complete. So, so we, how we do that? We just preach on doing stuff. You know, you see a need. You need to reach out. But you know what the problem is? And the more, the more, dis, the more decoupled we become, disconnected we become from Christendom or from, the, from that, that the tradition and the, 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 you know, the guild and the have to. You know, most, like many of the, the millennials in the house, you guys aren't, I can't guilt y'all like they guilted me when I was coming up. I have to come a lot more real with you guys and be authentic, right? When I was coming, they just, and you, you, you were made to feel guilty about everything. Your shoes isn't shine. That's a shame. Jesus hung on that cross and died for you to come up in here with raggedy shoes all run it over. But the problem is this, people who don't love God passionately will never serve God faithfully. That is a basic truth. If they, if these, well, they, they might do a lot of stuff, but it doesn't mean they're serving God faithfully. People who don't love God will do stuff because they'll do it because they like to be seen. They'll do it because they want to make money. They'll do it because they, they, they're trying to win friends and influence people. But to, to really serve God faithfully, it, it, it will take, you know, it puts us back. Where does it start? It starts with relationship. So before I preach the big commitment service, y'all ought to, you all need to, you need, you know, we can, no, can we love Jesus more intimately? Can we know him better? Can we walk more closely with him? Because if we don't love God passionately, people who have not given themselves to God wholeheartedly to be used for his purposes won't make a difference in the kingdom and won't really much care about needs outside of their own. And that's one of the problems in contemporary church settings today is that people, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty much rocking our own little world here. And it takes God to pull us out of our thing. It takes the love of Christ and the, 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 the power of the Holy Spirit and the, 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 the greatness of God in our lives and working through us to pull us out of our little world and to show us the broader opportunities and the broader possibilities that God has for us. To show us what it really looks like to give myself away, as we sing. Paul describes this. Now, this takes us to the passage we read today. Paul describes the progression as it relates to the Christians in Macedonia and their response to the, to the economic woes of the church in Jerusalem and the fact that there was a famine going on and the church was financially strapped. And people, you know, we, in, in our society, when you say, okay, you know, there's, money's tight, you know, you, you all t- still tend to find food somewhere, there's some kind of, at least right now, there's some kind of cheap food somewhere. But you're talking about in a, a situation that's much more tied to agriculture and that kind of thing. And when there's a famine and when there's all kinds of economic woes, it's like really serious. And so the Macedonian Christians responded a certain way. And Paul, and Paul, um, Paul challenges them with that. Or, 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 no, no, I'm just actually, t- Josh, you, you're good. You got, I got about another, I got about another, he's, my boy, I got about another. I got about another forty-five minutes to an hour before I need you up here. <laughs> okay, look at this. First Corinthians eight one to five. So this is what Paul. So Paul's writing to the Corinthians. He's saying, "Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches." Oh, this is a good offering passage. But no, he says, "In the midst of a very severe trial, because the Macedonians were struggling too." So their commitment is not based upon the fact that, hey, we got a lot of money. You know, it doesn't really take a lot of commitment, right? It's like, uh, I, I think it was like uh, when uh, the egg and the, I mean, the chicken and the pig were talking. And somebody said, let's do bacon and eggs. And the, 
uh, and uh, the, the pig said, you don't understand. On your part, it's a commitment. On my part, it's the ultimate sacrifice. <laughs> that wasn't even in my notes. <laughs> you just hear stuff, you know. <laughs> <In the, laughs> now I'm getting hungry. In the midst of a very severe trial... Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty. Now, this, this is all. This, this must be misworded, huh? That must. That did I miscopy this? Is it options, controls, CX? What? Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in what? Rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. That's commitment. That's commitment. And I get the sense that that didn't come because Paul wrote, because first of all, it would take a long time to get the letter. And he said, y'all need to help these folk out. Y'all sitting up there. But, and then how do you appeal to that when they're hurting too? I know y'all are broke, but... And I know I say give till it hurts. Well, give till you die. I don't know. You know, it's like... You, you can't, like people say, you can't make this stuff up. You, you, you can't fabricate this. This is something real that he's observing them. It's that they urgently plead. They're like, can we help, please? I know we ain't got nothing, but we'll give you the little bit we got because we love God and we love these people. He says, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. And then go to the next verse, uh, the next slide, Josh. He says, and, 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 this, and this is how Paul, this is what Paul sees in this. He says, and they exceeded our expectations. Isn't that cool when you lead people and they, and it happens. It's cool when you have kids and they like blow your minds because they're so cool and so wonderful. And some of you are saying, when, what? (laughs) (laughs) I love you guys. You you just exceeded my expectations. (laughs) They exceeded our expectations. Look at this. Paul says, they, something happened on the inside of them. Something happened organically. Something happened in their heart and their spirit. I didn't teach them this per se. This was caught, not taught. He says, they gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. You see that? Because it has to happen in that order. They became engaged in serving the practical needs of, of others after giving, or might, we might say committing themselves first to God. But then they followed that initial step of commitment by giving themselves to God's people. Sharing of their resources when they had very little to share from. This is not the result of somebody, the ushers locking the door and marching them around and the deacons coming back to pass to say, we'd need another $4. <laughs> we'll we, we walk to you. Well, if I had $4 to give, I'd walk to you. you. This is something that happens in their heart because, of they, because they had given themselves, what, first to the Lord. Say it, first to the Lord. That's, that's, that's the basis of commitment. You can do those two things kind of simultaneously. You can give yourself to to the Lord, and at the same time, immediately it flows out in that kind of commitment to, to others and to the, the things of God and the cause of God. But you can't do it the other way around, and it's real. You can't try to commit yourself in Christ 
you know, you can't try to give yourself away to others in the Lord when you haven't given yourself first to God. Because there'll always be some reservation and you don't have the proper motivation to really do that. Notice Paul says they did this by the will of God. In other words, whenever you want to know what God's will is for your life, this is one thing. Okay, it's going to always be God's will for you to give yourself completely and totally and wholly to him. And it's always going to be his will that in, in, in response to that giving that you turn around and give your life away for the sake of others. Give your life to your brothers and sisters. Amen? Yes. Commit. I think that most of us have found that to commit ourselves to something, to someone or to a cause or to an entity of some sort of some of some value, uh, uh, anything we believe in will produce a harvest of blessing. We produce great things in our lives. We, if you want to acquire a skill or a craft or a trade or a, 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 a knowledge. A, a, an area of knowledge, if you commit to, to the acquisition of that, if you give yourself to that wholeheartedly, you find that it pays rich dividends. And so here's the deal. I, I'm no longer, no, I'm no longer, I'm, I'm really not interested in the commitment speak from the way that it's been done in traditional and historic Christian settings uh, in this, this traditional sense. I'm looking for something in me and I'm looking for something in those that I, that I serve and lead. I'm looking for uh, something more organic, something more real, something more authentic, something more spirit-led, something that God produces in our lives from the inside out rather than continuing to try to badger people from the outside in to get them to do what we think we want them to do or what they need to do when they're not properly motivated in the first place because it's the love of God that motivates people. It's the work of the Spirit that produces commitment in us. We're challenged to respond in obedience, to go with the Spirit, to, to follow where He's leading us, so to speak. And there's this initial impulse that comes, and if we catch it, uh, it leads us to a place of commitment and devotion that will produce blessing in our lives. And so the first component of this thing of commitment is relational, loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, strength, as ourselves offering our entire uh, selves to God. Now let me just give you one final and when I say final, you think that means short. No, one, one, one additional perspective on this. Uh, there's a set of commitments with regard to the church that emerge rather naturally out of something that happens in Acts, the second chapter. And so as we look at Acts 2, beginning at verse 42 and through verse 47, these are the words we find. They devoted themselves. Who is they? It is the, 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 the original church, the first Christians, the first people to come to faith, to respond to Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost. Uh, this is what happens. Something is spun off. And they haven't had time to teach this. And they haven't had time to write up the manuals and to go around and have the classes and to teach them about commitment. Something marvelous happens because of something that the Spirit of God has done. He says, they, that is the people of God there in the church in Jerusalem, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. Now, notice that word devoted. Now, I was going to use, I was use a soundbite. I was going to have, you know, my boy Philip, uh, you need devotion. <laughs> Back when he was still singing a little bit flat sometimes, you know. Uh, but I, I, I thought better of it. Uh, but they devoted themselves. Bless the children. You know, they devoted, I'm sorry, to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. If you're, if you're over 40, you know what I'm doing. If you're like, what is he doing? <laughs> that was like, what, 1972 or something. 
the fruits of eval. Okay, anyway, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. Look at these words carefully. And had everything in common. Go one more for me there, sir. Uh, uh, go back one. They sold property and possessions. To, see, this is deep. They devoted. They were committed. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Oh, Lord, the pastor getting ready to go off his rock. He going to ask us to, to support the, the children in Haiti. We're going to sell our houses and everything. No. Nobody. There was no campaign. They didn't hire a, a stewardship organization. There was no tithe envelopes. They just, there was, this is an impulse. Okay. They, they sold possessions to, uh, to, uh, to give to anyone in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Wow. This wasn't orchestrated. But this, this gives us, there's a bit of a model here if we can, if we can, if we can, if we can uh, you know, perceive it. So what's happened after the resurrection, right? Then Jesus, in the first chapter of Acts, you know, he ascends back to the right hand of the Father. He says, you know, uh, I'll be coming back. Meanwhile, you guys go and wait in the upper room. And 120 of them went in the upper room. They waited. and The old word was Terry. They waited. And and he said, until you receive power from on high, the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, fell on them. Uh, uh, And and so... uh, uh, when this happens, uh, they begin speaking in other tongues. And in that case, it wasn't private prayer languages we know of. It. They were actually speaking other languages under this uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit that were being understood by the people around there, the various people from the various regions gathered in Jerusalem there. And, uh, and then Peter gets up and kills it. And he probably stays within his 45-minute limit. He probably has his little preaching timer thingy and uh, an abacus, you know, uh, that's China, you know, uh, and, uh, and the church is born, boom, because all these people get saved in this one day, thousands of people, right, give their lives, they say, you know, what must we do to be saved, this is serious, what we got to do, he said, repent and be baptized, you know, in the, na- in Jesus, in the name of Jesus for your remission of your sin, okay, let's do it, and boom, the church is here, bam, right, you know, like, really quick, not like 25 years, like I've been trying to, you know, but like 25 minutes. I mean, it's like, I don't know, you know, right away. And, but the first thing we learn about them is that there's something that's so profound that has happened inside of them and among them that it brings forth this thing. They devoted themselves. In other words, they, were, they committed themselves. They were committed. Wow. And then the text tells us all the things they were committed to. Proscarta uh, runtes is the uh, word, and so do, do we really care? Or I'm gonna give it to you anyway. Uh, the, the word that, that's used here, that's translated in, in the NIV as devoted, and other places um, different ways. It means that they steadfastly continued, they devoted. It means a steadfast and single-minded. You can go to the next slide, there, Josh. Uh, fidelity to a certain course of action. Go to the next one. It means to persist in adherence to a thing, to be intently engaged in, attend constantly, to remain constantly in place, to constantly attend upon, continue near to, be at hand. One of those, you choose one. But you get the idea. In other words, what another way of saying it is, it means they committed themselves. It's a present active participle. Go to the next one, which means it, it implies habitual action, and it reflects a, often a lifestyle. In other words, there's this thing that happens among them, and it's happening. They're doing this. 
they are devoting themselves to. And so they're just living this thing out from the heart, from the inside out. They're, the gospel is working. Nobody has cajoled them. Nobody has, has, has harassed them. No, no, no mother in the church went up to them. You know, you need to do, you need to, you know, they, they just are doing it. And isn't it beautiful sometimes when we just get it and nobody has to, to, to give us this long litany of to do's and not to do's, but all of a sudden God opens our eyes and say, you know, I need to like leave off that thing there. And I need to kind of move in this direction because this is really where, where I'm finding, where I'm finining God. Right. And that's what happened. And, but this, there, there are four core commitments that they, that, 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 that form the basis of their life together, which to this day still form the basis of our life together as the church of Jesus. The first one is the word of God. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching, uh, the, he said the word fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. Those four things are like the core values. And they were committed to those four things. They were committed to devoted to focused on steadfastly continuing in those four things. And it's not because so much of, 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 uh, of anyone having jammed them up to do it, but it's because there's something about the work of the spirit of God that draws us. If we re- if we will respond to him, he draws us together in, in obedience and love. And he, he will plug us into the things that that he has for us. Let's take a moment and just run through these real quick. First of all, he says uh, the apostles teaching. So they were, they were committed to the Bible because of what were the apostles teaching? So they weren't teaching like macrame and, um, you know, uh, vegan cooking or something. You know, it's like they were, they were teaching, uh, uh, they were teaching the Bible. They were teaching the old Testament. They were teaching the, uh, they were teaching the, the, the oral tradition of what had happened that they had just lived with Jesus. And then they begin to write the Bible, the New Testament. But, but, the, but the Christians were committed to the word. And it, just, it, it informs us, doesn't it, that that's an area of commitment that we, we, we want to be open to and want to allow God to, to lead us into, to be committed to the teaching and preaching of the Bible. So if I, if, I, if I hide Wednesday night Bible study, it's not because I'm lonely on Wednesday nights when there's only 10 of you here, although it is very, very, very painful. And it, I, many day, day, nights I, I drive, I weep as I drive home. <laughs> Father, I'm sorry, Lord. <laughs> I weep for joy because we have such a good... You know, it's, it's because this, these are core values of, of the church. The reason we preach the word, the reason why I really won't obsess too much over the time and keeping it too short is because I, if I have something I need to teach, it needs to be taught. And that, that's, that's a core function of, of our life together. And they're, they're devoted to this. They're committed to it. And they're devoted to it both by way of hearing and doing. The second thing is they're devoted to fellowship. They're devoted to, and when you say the fellowship, they say, they, the word is the fellowship. Koinonia is the Greek word. It has to do with having things in common. And you see that expressed in the second Corinthians passage because the, the ch- church in Macedonia realized that the church in Jerusalem, that, 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 was, that was their brothers and sisters. And so they shared, we, we share in their life, though we're miles apart. And so we're, when they heard, we heard. And when we heard, they should heard. And we, we, can, we're, we care about it. We, we, have, we share a common life, fellowship. Fellowship is not an event. We're going to have a fellowship and half y'all are going to be mad when you show up, but we're going to get together and have some red punch that is loaded with sugar and some donuts from Krispy Kreme. And all y'all are going to be in a diabetic coma when we're done. <laughs> But, but we're gonna have we're gonna load you up with sugar and let you smile phonally at each other, look at each other cross-eyed. It's a fellowship. 
No, fellowship is more than just an event you stage and have some food and try to get people together and like each other. Fellowship is this deep sharing of our lives together. Fellowship is this thing of Christian community. And it was, it was the core of the, of the early church, and it's the core of our life together. And we really we do well to move beyond just sharing a, 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 a cup of coffee together at church or grinning at each other and smiling as we pass our ways. But we really do well to find ways to, to care for one another, to love one another, to share our lives, to be identified as a group and to enjoy one another's company. Not because, not because my brother or sister is perfect, because if that was the case, then, then, then I'm in trouble because I'm not perfect. None of us is perfect. None of us has it all together, but we, 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 we belong to each other and we need each other. And so we show up and so we reach out, we connect, we, we, we risk vulnerability. That's doing life together. And that's what the church is about. And we're discovering this because church is not just a place you go. Are you, are you a Christian? Yeah, you go to church. Yeah, I go to church. Where you go? I don't know the name of it. Who's the pastor? I don't know his name. He all right. I, that, my mama said, I need to keep going to church. I'll go to church. See, that's, you may as well. I, it's probably better than nothing, but it's the idea. If there's, no, if there's no sharing of lives, that's fellowship. And they were devoted. They were committed to that. The third thing was this, they, the breaking of bread. Now, if any of you said, now, I can get with that. <laughs> and you're thinking about Subway and you're smelling that breast. And when she opens that bread up, but I have a foot long. That's the one that she opens. Breaking of bread. There it goes right there. And she to put that, yeah, put that in. No, you know, but breaking your bread, there's some, there's some scholarly ambiguity on this because uh, there was the, the love, the agape meal was probably the, when, when these folks had church, they kind of celebrated the Lord's Supper probably. They, they hadn't invented little plastic cups yet. And, um, and since they were all really hungry anyway, they actually had like real bread and, and, uh, and, by the way, it probably wasn't, uh, Welch's hadn't gone into business yet, so they, <laughs> and the stuff they were used, they had, it had to guard against spoil, so it was probably, you know, what some of y'all need, you know, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Peter says, we will serve no wine before it's time. I don't know. But, I mean, it, but it was a meal, probably. But it wasn't just eating together, like, ha <laughs> pass me another sandwich. It was like, it was like, it was a celebrating of the Lord's Supper, which means it was always coming together and commemorating and Christ's death and remembering his sacrifice for us as a real central part of worship. And in so many Christian traditions, uh, communion, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper is, is central. And for us as a neo-Pentecostal, evangelical, whatever we are in 2017, communion is, gets more and more relegated to some corner of our corporate existence. And now some churches, I understand, they just put it at a table in the back and you just say, hey, it's first Sunday, if you want communion, just walk by and grab you one, you know? And it's like, no, it's got to be more central to our life than that. There's something about it because Jesus left that as an ordinance. But I, 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 won't, I, won't, I, won't, I won't elaborate on that. I just will re- bring to you memories. I, I passed by the church on Wilmington Avenue in Compton near Rosecrans my, and, uh, where years ago, and this is always a big there was a, a neon sign. It was a Baptist church. And it said, the neon sign said, Lord's Supper being served when flashing. I was like, man, so you're driving down the street, you know, you got your tunes going. Doo, 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 doo. And all of a sudden the sign is flashed. I got to go in there and get the Lord's Supper. <laughs> I mean, well, 
But maybe they were on to something that we're not because they valued it enough to think we should let people know when we're serving communion. We should let people know when we're breaking bread, so to speak. We should let people know when we're commemorating the body and blood of Christ because there might be some Christians in the neighborhood who come by and they might not realize that we do it on Sunday at 6 p.m. or Sunday at 1, you know, after the sermon or whatever. It's important to somebody. And to us, sometimes it's not so. But it also would include probably the idea of more of a fellowship-oriented kind of meal. And then, finally, prayer. Now, actually, literally in the Greek, it's the prayers. The article before it is is because they were probably more like their Jewish uh, predecessors and like like some other groups, like, like Muslims who... You see, and one of the reasons why some of y'all, yeah, they say, he sounds like he's doing, getting ready to do a commitment message because he said, y'all. <laughs> one of the reasons why we struggle with prayer is because we have no structure. And I know he said, I know, but I just want to be, I'm spirit filled, so I want to be spirit led. The spirit didn't lead you to neglect things as much as you do, but what happens is they, they understood, they said, so we had the morning prayer, the evening prayer, the, the, uh, the noon prayer, the evening, we prayed three times a day, and you know, we, we have, it's, we, we, so they, and they were devoted to it. They were committed to it because God set that up in the DNA of the church initially to understand that prayer is the lifeblood of anything that God's going to do in you and through you. And prayer is the, the, the core of what it means to know God intimately and to know Christ intimately. And you know, prayer tends to be one of the most neglected activities in contemporary churches. You know that, right? You know that for most churches, you could have a thousand people on Sunday and you call a prayer meeting, you'll have 20. You know, for us, we have really good months and then some months is two or three of us and we can always fall back. And you know what you do in church? You say, you know, he said where two or three are gathered there, I am in the midst of them. I don't want to be using that as a cop out. We should, you know, because it's nice to show up for stuff. But, you, but they, were, they, they were devoted to that. They were devoted to, to, to prayer. And, and so, and I'm almost done, but what happens is this. They experienced, as a result of these core commitments that were not forced on them, but that kind of came out as the impulse of the Spirit of God working in their lives. Because of these four commitments, they start to experience this amazing stuff in their midst. St- things start to, to bust out in their lives. Things start to happen because of these four commitments. You know, it, 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 you know, they, they signs and wonders begin to happen. Do you remember we sang about those miracles? They, they were, they begin to see signs and wonders take place among them. They weren't engaging in emotional extremism, but they begin to see God work. You know, God still does wonders and miracles today and signs and those kind of things. They, they, it says they were together. They developed a closeness and a bond and it wasn't just worship time. It wasn't just going to church and, you know, and we, we are so depersonalized now and it really pains me, particularly in, you know, in churches of, 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 the, of, the, of the, the cultural milieu out of which I uh, hail is that, you know, when it, when it degenerates, I'm going to go up to the house of the Lord to get my praise on. Well, you could just go into the club and you know, whatever, you know, it's church is not just you going somewhere to be entertained. 
for the, for the, you know, for the, 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 a slick sermon and then you just to get your little shout. Church is about us connecting with Christ and connecting with others and expending our lives with other people. They were together. It wasn't just about praise time. It was, it was, it was people time. And then there was generosity because they said, we, there's need. Let's sell some stuff. Let's give up some stuff. Let's do it a little less. Let's help somebody else. That all this comes out of it. Nobody, nobody, it's pretty much understood that in the book of Acts, they, they went into this voluntary communal thing. The first hippies, right? Dude, I sold all my stuff, man. Where are you going to live? Well, I haven't figured that part out yet, but Jesus, they said he's coming again really quick. So, you know, I, I hope that's true because it's like, I, I even sold the, the VW bus, man, you know. The one with the flower on the side, I sold that. You know, that kind of thing. But nobody told them to do it. They just, wow, their needs. I don't need all this stuff. I don't, I don't need to be chasing the, the almighty dollar. Let's put our stuff together. Let's make sure that the, the poor people get some help. Let's make sure that the widows get some meals. Let's make sure that, that the needs around us really get addressed. Nobody told them to do this, but God in them brought this out of them. And then it says that they had joy and that they experienced great overflowing joy and that they experienced favor, that people liked them. And then the church grew daily as God was adding to the church. A lot of people don't like us. Some of that is because we are prophetic and distinctive and we are... We are um, we, we proclaim the truth and everybody's not ready for the truth. But some, some of the reason that people don't like us is that our faith oftentimes is more talk than substance, than walk. Our, our, we, we, are, we, we, we are quick to judge but slow to serve. People see uh, what the Bible describes as godliness, but they see that often we ourselves deny the the power thereof. They see they see the they see that they, they, we, we tell them to come and follow this Jesus that we love and that loves us so much. But they see that we don't love each other quite as much as we as we claim to, and they they realize they feel that we don't really love them very much at all. But it would make us feel better religiously to get them to convert to our cause. That's the way we perceive the early church for a moment until persecution set in. In this moment, the people around them saw the distinctiveness and they saw the glory. and They saw the beauty of what the spirit of God can do in a community of people because of their commitment, because of their commitment. And that commitment, again, wasn't something that was. I was going to say trumped up. I can't use that word anymore. There's something that was fabricated. I mean, I'm having to, I'm going to, have to work on my whole vocabulary here. So today's verb, commit. We see that the commitment of the, of the first Christians, it, it rocked. I just want keys right now. Y'all just keep it really nice. Up. I don't want all that yet. Thank you. <laughs> Y'all bless my, my flow. <laughs> Thank you. Today's we were talking about commitment, and Jesus has committed himself fully to us. He's committed himself fully to his work of, of saving us. He's committed to you. God has given you his best. He's held nothing back from you. 
God never stops thinking about you. He never stops working on your behalf. He never ceases to care for you or care about you. He's always on your side. Always has your best interest at heart. Always in your corner. Because God shows us this. That commitment flows out of love. To love is to commit. And so again, we don't approach that verb from the place of, hey, y'all need to commit really strong. But we approach it from the place of this. We need to love more deeply. We need to move more close in our relationship with God. We need to do the things. And you know what? You're doing that today. Why? Because you're here. You didn't come here today because I'm so cute. At least that's not the only reason. But you came here today because there's something inside you that's looking and reaching out for God. Each one of you, I'm convinced, either that or your mother made you come. But you you came here today because you you want, you're trying to learn more about this this Jesus. You came because you're trying to, to, to go deeper in your relationship. And so, what I want to do, ultimately, you go to the next slide, Josh, we're going to close out here. Here's our challenge. We live in this world of a million choices, right? All the options that are available before us, everything and everyone is trying to get a piece of us, trying to get our time, trying to get our attention, trying to get our money, trying to grab our allegiance. We'll have to make a choice like Mary did when she was hanging out with Jesus, she and Martha. Because Martha was like, hey, uh, we got to get the food on. We got to get the the bread baked. We got to get, we got to get this work done. And Mary was like, yeah, but you know what? I just really like chilling here and listening to what this man has to say. Because he's talking some serious truth here. And Jesus says, Martha, you're like, you're tripping over a lot of stuff. But you know what? There's only one thing that really matters. And Mary chose that one. And that's the call to us as well. Let's take a moment in the words of Psalm 139, 23, 24, and let's ask God to do this. He says this, the psalmist says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You guys come down just a little bit, please. I just wanted keys. I don't know. I got the whole band. I thank you for your generosity. I'm not going to pay you anymore. <laughs> Lord, help us. Teach us what it means to commit. Free us from the, the baggage of the past. We, we get kind of prickly because people are always asking us to do stuff, and asking us to commit to this and to commit to that. We do what we think is our best and we, we go to church and then basically they beg for money and tell us we're not doing enough. And then we come back next week and they do it again. But Lord, help us to hear through all of that, through our our experience through what we grew up in, through, through all, of, all of the conditioning, help us to hear afresh your call to commit ourselves to you. Not by 
making a pledge to do more stuff, but to commit ourselves to you by simply doing what the Macedonians did, the, the, the Macedonian Christians did, to give, giving ourselves first to you and then to everybody else after we've committed ourselves first to you. So this morning we give ourselves to you. Teach us what it means to commit. We're conditioned by the individualism of this culture to hold out in our search for for God and for good in pursuit of that which is the best option. And so we we don't commit. We we hold back. I don't know if this if this cause is good enough. I don't know if this leader is worthy of my respect. I don't know if this this if this church or this organization or this I don't, you know, sometimes it even in our dating lives, I don't this I know this person loves me, but I don't, I'm, I'm, if, if I wait, I might find somebody better. We do the same thing with you. We're thinking that maybe once we really, that if we win the lottery, then we'll really find the joy we're looking for. So let's hold out a little bit longer. If this thing or that thing comes through for us, but Lord, thank you for reminding us today that really nothing satisfies but you. The church in Jerusalem in Acts 2, they had a shot of love. They had an encounter with you and you changed everything. And they went forth from that place. They were devoted. They were committed because you worked in their lives from the inside out. Help us to grow in our love for you, for your church, your people in the world around us. Not the world system, but our love for the people in the world that you died for. Release us to give ourselves fully to you and then to each other. Lord, remind us each day that we find ourselves by losing ourselves that we gain by giving, that the choice to be all in for you and your church is the only choice in life that will bring real life. There's nothing better. So we thank you, Lord. Just take a moment, thinking about what we talked about today and thinking about where you are in your journey. And let's just sit in, in, in relative quiet for a moment and ask God to do what the psalmist says there, to search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Where are you anxious? Where are you restless this morning? Where are you struggling? Where, 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 what buttons did I push today in talking about this subject? Buttons that you need to deal with and address. Let's just be quiet for a moment.